Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Welcome back to another episode of Tis the Podcast, the podcast that's determined to keep the Christmas spirit alive 365 days per year. Going on year six, I'm Anthony. I'm Tom. I'm Julia. Oh, you just you just took my spot. I'm Julia. And I'm Julia. And I'm Ron. Ron, not, welcome back. That's what we all care about. I'm not Julia. Uh, <laughs> you would think after five years that some of us know how to read the schedule and know when they're supposed to host, especially when we have a guest. After five years, I think we all know that no one's reading the schedule and no one's prepared. But that's why we love the show. That's pretty true. Pretty true. I do read the schedule right before we record. <laughs> At least you oh, read shoot. it. <laughs> oh shoot <laughs> don't, don't worry oh, don't man. worry Ron. like the only people who are more surprised than our listeners by what we did for christmas in july were tom and julia who started listening to the episode <laughs> <laughs> hey i purposely didn't pay any attention to any of the results because it was might be surprised when i listened to it today i felt like i was a part of the audience myself i was also equally surprised with the fact that you had stuff for us to do. And it sent us emails. <laughs> that we did, that we well did the day advanced. before it was due. But then we did it. I'm so sorry, Anthony. But I will say, if you have not listened to the anniversary special yet, Anthony put blood, sweat, and tears into that thing. And it shows. That is a highly entertaining episode. It's great to hear from friends. I heard from friends I'd never heard their voices before, right? Because we have some people that hadn't been on previous episodes and just, we've got really amazing listeners. So you should check it out. It's excellent. Great job, Anthony. Thank you. Great job to both of you too. You guys are co-hosts. You guys co-hosted the Oscars. (laughs) We did. The equivalent of you guys getting drunk backstage and I had to carry the show. But you came out when accounting. <laughs> Basically. Now it's like you're hosting the Golden Globes, but <laughs> that's right. It was the Golden Globes. <laughs> uh, uh, Ron, it's been forever. How have you been, man? Oh, I'm great. Um I'm having a good old time watching Westworld right now. Um I am too. Good. And you can read my reviews over at Den of Geek because they oh, go cool. up. They go up immediately after every episode. And then I will, I will say, I wish I had rewatched Westworld before the new season started. Well, you should have read my Westworld season three recap that I wrote. That was like almost three thousand words that I spent a lot of time on, but I guess you didn't. <laughs> you know. Oh, 
you know, Ron, it's been a lot. Listeners, for the record, Ron is my insomniac friend. There are times he will, well, not anymore since I've been banned from Twitter, but he used to see me tweeting at like 3 a.m. And I'd get a text from him because he's awake as well. And we'd have these middle of the night chats. And that's when he would tell me to read his stuff. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> when they provide me with screeners, I'm able to not have to stay up until 3 a.m. working on stuff, which is wonderful for me. <laughs> so let's hope they keep it up. Uh, HBO, if you're listening, and I know you are. Um Let's make with some House of the Dragon screeners for your boy, please. Thank you. Are you more excited for House of the Dragon or Lord of the Rings? Oh, probably House of the Dragon. I, I feel too. like there's, I feel like there's a much richer. Um, well, I know there's a, a huge, rich mythology for Lord of the Rings because I'm very familiar with the works of Tolkien, but I also have little to no faith in Amazon to actually pull it off after what they did with the Wheel of Time. So. Uh, okay. Literally, what Tom time, said. <laughs> that is exactly what I said about this. I do not know why you needed to change the characters in ways that made no sense for Wheel of Time. Like none at all. None at all. Why none. was Perrin suddenly married? Why were Ran and Egwene already like having sex? This stuff <laughs> didn't make sense. And if they, I think Amazon knows this that the Wheel of Time isn't going to make it through the entire. Uh, uh, arc of the the series by jordan and sanderson because the stuff that they've done already ruins stuff later in the series i don't get it and i'm not even like a huge wheel of time guy so i but i 100 get where you're going with that and that has kind of not exactly filled me with uh, a lot of hope for the lord of the Rings stuff that they're working on especially now that uh, christopher tolkien is dead and yeah. is no longer around to like whip people into shape and make sure they stick to his father's visions and stuff. I will be very disappointed if it's not good because Galadriel is my favorite. And I want to see young Galadriel. Well, Tom, if, if Robert Jordan himself can't make it through the wheel of time, I don't know why you would expect Amazon to, to do the same. <laughs> because he died. Hey, that's where I was going. With I, that. He hey, I've got to give him a lot more credit. Uh, so you're a fantasy literature guy, right? Yes. Patrick Rothfuss fan. I have never read any Rothfuss, and people keep telling okay. me I should. Or wait and I see shouldn't. if he finishes. So he's written two books, um, uh, the in the King Killer Chronicle series, and everybody's been waiting and trolling him about the third book. He did an AMA on Twitter the other day, and somebody said, "What's the best book you've read in a while? Are you the best book you've read recently?" And he said. King Killer Chronicle number three. So it's like trolling people back now for pressuring him about his book. Well, that's like George R. R. Martin's going to die before he finishes sentence books if he doesn't come out with the next ones. It's fine. It's okay. fine. He'll die. He'll die two weeks later. Brandon Sanderson will write the next seven books in the series and be wrapped up. <laughs> so the House of Dragons show is that based on text? Based on Martin? He's involved behind the scenes. Yeah. But it's not. Well, it's not. It's inspired. I made it to Feast of Crows, and then I stopped reading. No, it's no, inspired it's by him. It's inspired by him, but he since he doesn't know where his own storyline is going to end, how can we expect him to come up with another one? You know. Well, he knows right. where this is end because this is all backstory for stuff that's already happened. These are all like the myth. These are all like the things people talked about that happened like a hundred years ago, and you know, old King, what's his name, did this, that, and the other, and and. The, so the backstory for all this stuff and how it ends has already been established and well established in the books. If you watch any of the um, Game of Thrones Blu-ray special features, uh, especially for the first season, 
they go into great detail about the uh, some of the events of what's of what's going to be happening or what may be happening in House of the Dragon. Okay. So, Ron, I have to ask you because you're a horror fan, obviously. Did you like the movie X? I've not seen it. I can't go to the movie theater anymore because I have a three-year-old. Mm. Well, that's on really digital everything. now. Well, that's on home media now. Anyway. Did you see the trailer for Pearl that came out today? I have not seen that either, but I, everyone I know is raving about it. So I have yet to finish season three of The Boys. I've yet to finish Same. season three of Stranger Things. So I am behind on everything forever. And I will be that way until well after I'm dead. <laughs> just, we're starting on a really positive note. Well, it's fitting because, you know, we're we're, we're going to be talking about uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. And there's a lot of people who didn't make it through their to-do list before they were hit with an axe <laughs> or impaled on deer antlers or cut with a box cutter or strangled with Christmas lights or uh, run over by a car or shot by a maniac or sexually assaulted to death or you well, know, what have you well uh we're first episode into season six and ron has one segue of the year already yeah. <laughs> there's one thing i can do it's segue yeah so tonight we're covering the 1984 silent night deadly night for those who don't know it's about an orphan raised by nuns who grows up to be a killer toy star singer. thank you Google. histories of this movie ron why don't you start this is one of my favorite Christmas horror movies. I've seen this. I couldn't tell you the first time I saw it. It was on VHS. Um, it's one of those video boxes that I will always see at like Blockbuster or Hollywood Video or even at like independent video stores. And be like, oh, I bet that movie's crazy. It's Santa Claus and he's got an axe. And I saw it in the, probably the late 90s for the first time. And it 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 is a not exactly a Christmas tradition because I don't watch it every year, but since it has hit streaming, I've watched it pretty much every year for like the past four or five years, either for Christmas or for Christmas in July. I think it's a really good Christmas in July movie um, because it's not exactly Christmassy, uh, but it, you know, it's, it's close enough to me. So I'm a fan of this, this movie and I, I really enjoy how insane and ridiculous it is. What did Maeve think about it? <laughs> she did not watch it this year. Uh, she did not watch it last year either because her first year of life was mostly me watching uh, The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs while like feeding her, caring for her while her mom took naps. Um, so, I love you know, we, The Last Drive-In. So we'd hang out and I'd watch uh, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night or something and she would just be hanging out with me just, you know, having a being a baby and having a good time. And uh Weirdly enough, one of the first things she actually like looked at the television about, which is probably concerning, was A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night because it's black and white. And she was still unable to see color then because she was a little, little thing. But uh, there is, uh, I believe there's a guy on fire in it. She really dug that. Um, <laughs> which, you know, should, <laughs> which is setting her up for a successful life of writing about movies on the internet like her father. <laughs> Oh, this is also my favorite Christmas horror movie. No, not Krampus is. This is my favorite old school Christmas horror movie. It's a perfect B horror movie when I think of B horror movies. It came out literally the same weekend as an A horror movie, A Nightmare on Elm Street. 
and it was doing better than it for a while until its gross second weekend fall at the box office. But I love this movie. This is has been a staple since childhood. I get like Brown, it's not a tradition I watch every year, but I watch it at least every other year. It's a lot of fun. What more can you want? Horror, good. Violence, good. Boobs, good. Christmas, good. It's perfect. Pervert. It's perfect. I love it. Well, and I <laughs> well, this is, in a lot of ways, this is the perfect movie to bring to Tis the Podcast because it's got a lot of uh, creepy pervert content for Anthony, and it's got a lot of wallowing in uh, puritanical virginity for uh, Tom and Julia. So everybody, everybody gets something they want. Uh, I enjoyed it, and I definitely enjoy it more than Black Christmas. I'll say that. But which which Black Christmas? Because that matters. Yes. All three. Of them. Oh wow! Okay. Yep. So the third of the third of which listeners for behind the curtain we're covering in a few weeks with Gory Corey, who I know Ron loves. Oh, she uh, Corey is one of my all time favorite people. She, yeah, she's or, great. Just like a top-notch guest. If you want somebody to just come on your podcast and just be prepared, have great things to say, uh, be the exact opposite of how most podcasts are because it'll be like listenable and good, Corey is 100% the worst the person you want to reach out to. Yeah. So, she agreed to that a while ago. I should probably remind her because like Ron, <laughs> it was taken by surprise he was coming on. I haven't reminded her in a while, so I should reach out. On Instagram. I did. I took care of that though, Anthony. Somebody has to carry the weight of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Tom, what's your history with this? Today. I'm sorry. No, it was last night that I watched it. It was the epitome of B-rate horror film. It had yeah. everything a B-rate horror needs. Yes, you're not wrong. Everything. Julia, what's your history? Um. No history with this other than I know Ron has mentioned this one before um, in side chatter, right? Um, and so I was familiar with the name. I was not familiar with the movie, which shouldn't be shocking because horror is not my genre typically. Um, definitely not 80s horror. So um, first time watching it. And there were scenes that were familiar for inexplicable reasons that I can now explain because Ron explained it to me. Um, some iconic horror kill scenes specifically or one in particular um i didn't hate it i also didn't love it but that shouldn't be surprising um for me uh so not my favorite horror but i liked it a lot better than some other ones that i've seen um it'd be a great movie to put on in a party setting yeah i agree with that well this film was directed by charles e Steller jr Best known for creating the American book and TV series, The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams. He also wrote and produced more than 30 films and 230 television shows during his career. Are we all familiar with Charles Sellier? No, you're going to say, no, I'm not familiar with him. But if you look at his IMDb page, you're 100% familiar with like half of the things he's done. Mm-hmm. And you just have no idea because his he's literally done everything from like, ufo factor fiction documentaries from the 70s to like ancient secrets of the bible like this dude has literally like if you want this dude to do production on the thing he's gonna he would show up and do it like 
So we found our director for the Tissa podcast movie, guys. You can't get this guy to do your movie because he's been dead since 2011. He he did. He had a little case of death and (laughs) is no longer directing as a result. Well, he was naughty and he got what he deserved. Dying as a very old man, or at least a relatively old man. The screenplay was written by Michael Hickey. Um, This is his best known screenplay. But he also authored the stage play Murrow about Edward R. Murrow. And he received a screen credit on the restored version of Vertigo, Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo, for his contribution to the 1998 restoration of the film. He also was involved with Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, and Sleigh Bells Ring in 2017. The story of Silent Night, Deadly Night. That's L-A-Y. Yep, that's what I thought it would be. But let's not kid ourselves. Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 has one of the most iconic scenes in movie history. Um, Does it, What is that? That is the source of the famous gif where the guy says, Garbage Day! And then he shoots a guy holding a garbage can. <laughs> oh, man. Which, if you follow the, fil- the film strip Twitter account, you see me post at least once a month. So. Why do I feel like somebody used that scene during a Christmas clatter merry melee where the question was, add a Muppet to a movie to make it better, and somebody said put Oscar the Grouch in that trash can during the garbage oh day. My somebody <laughs> did. I did not say that. I wish I had. Uh, on, my, <laughs> on my appearance there. But someone 100% said that in one of the Merry Melees. I just don't remember who. The music was done by Perry Botkin. Okay, before we get into the cast list, can we talk about this music? They didn't have enough money to actually license legit Christmas songs. So they just paid this guy to write a bunch of brand new Christmas tunes. And I they mean, are all over this movie. And some of them are as, actually pretty good. Yeah, this, they read all the Christmas. Instead of the, the public domain Christmas songs that they easily could have done, they had a guy who wrote random Christmas songs about Santa creeping <laughs> as Santa was murdering people in a warehouse. This guy actually has some famous TV theme songs to his name. He did Mork and Mindy, Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, The Beverly Hillbillies. The Beverly Hillbillies is classic. That is one of the single greatest theme songs in television history. It's classic. I figured this guy's original songs were intentional, right? All the songs are just a little off kilter and they're not familiar enough for you to feel cozy like you do when you hear a Christmas song. And I thought all of that was like on purpose to kind of throw you up off a little bit right yeah like he's leaning into the uncanny valley of christmas music where Mm -hmm. it just sounds familiar enough to be unsettling because it's not like it's the berenstein versus berenstein bears uh, (laughs) of christmas songs like in another world like christmas baby the christmas blues song is like their version of blue christmas (laughs) our first encounter with our would will be villain is young Billy. We meet him as age eight, and he is played by the actor Danny Wagner. And as I'm watching this and seeing a child watching his mother's shirt get ripped open and throat slit and staring at his father's bullet in his head, I'm wondering, huh, I wonder what happened to that kid as an actor, assuming that can't be good for a child's psyche. And sure enough, he disappeared. This was the only thing he ever did. Oh my gosh. Well, this might have also been the only thing he did because he was terrible. But there's no... uh, he was. All I could think when I saw him acting and all of the flashbacks were 
I can't wait to hear Anthony describe these scenes. Yep, they were awful. Definitely ranked well, near the bottom of child actors that we have ever covered. Well, it's I an mean, interesting it's an interesting place to be because not only is he bad, but he's 80s bad, which I feel is extra bad. There's a certain level of badness that we expect from 70s and 80s acting actor children, but he took it to a whole new level. Has anyone else here other than me seen the movie House by the Cemetery? I've seen it. So you know who I'm going to reference, and it's Bob from House by the Cemetery, the worst child <laughs> actor to ever live. He makes this kid look like the kid from The Sixth Sense. He makes him look like Haley Joel Osment. He's that terrible. Just can't believe there was a day early in our podcasting career, I'm talking year one, when Macaulay Culkin was the only child actor we covered, and I said he's a piece of garbage. <laughs> how much you've learned in how, five years. How, he was, he was good, there. wasn't he? He was decent for what he was asked to do. Macaulay Culkin is practically a Shakespearean actor compared to some of the kids you've had you've talked about on your <laughs> podcast. Our, our film revolves around grown-up Billy, who is played by Robert Brian Wilson, whom IMDb describes as a handsome and muscular actor who was born in 1962 in Cerritos, California, and he made his impressive film debut as tormented teenager Billy Chapman in the notorious and controversial sicko Santa seasonal slasher classic. You may recognize him from your early days in uh, soap opera obsession, Anthony. He was on the show Santa Barbara, Search for Tomorrow, Generations. He was on TV shows like Matt Houston. He had a spot on Perfect Strangers, Knott's Landing, Dynasty, 30-something Jake and the Fat Man. And he is seen in flashback footage in Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 is about half flashback footage and half new footage, which is why the credited writers for Silent Night, Deadly Night had to be credited for Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. It's literally recap the movie plus the, the one scene everybody knows of Garbage Day. He is no longer an actor. He quit acting in the 90s and works in the trade show business and holds a prominent and successful position in the business, according to IMDb. Now, the question is, was he an actor before he left the acting business? I'm going to say based on this, and his, his, the way he, he proclaimed single lines as he tried to kill people, no, no, he was not. You're telling me someone else could have done the reading of Punish better than him? <laughs> I think you just did. You just did, Ron. And I have the beard to be Santa. I'm ready for it. And the potbelly. So let's just let's just get on with the Silent Night, Deadly Night redux. And I will 100% be fat adult Billy. The character that most reminded me of Anthony in this, Mother Superior, is played by Lillian Chauvin, who is, you definitely would know her when you saw her if you don't know who she is now. She's been in a ton of stuff. She was in... Predator 2, Universal Soldier, Catch Me If You Can. She was nominated once for an OFTA television award for the best actress in a syndicated series for Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Now, Anthony knows her from being Joey's grandma on Friends. Friends, yep. Oh, I do. Yeah. How did you know that? Is because I'm sitting here, my wife beat her like a Joey Italian? Yes, basically. <laughs> It's hot. I can't deal with the heat. I'm over summer. She's also been in things. She had a role on Malcolm in the Middle. 
Ugly Betty, Catch Me If You Can, ER, Soldier of Fortune 2. Like we said, she was Grandma Tribbiani. She's done a lot of stuff. And she was in like, Pumpkinhead too. She was in Pumpkinhead too. Blood Wings. I'm surprised if that one has never gotten a Pumpkinhead. I'm not. I think it's a, a, a rights ownership issue, but that will eventually be resolved. Everything will be remade in the end, Anthony. Don't worry. Sister Margaret, who cares about Billy and doesn't like the way he's being treated and tries to help him assimilate back into society when he's older, is Gilmore McCormick. She is best known for probably this, or she was, she played Gilmore in Godspell. She was in Slaughterhouse-Five, Hill Street Blues. Those are pretty much her biggest things. We've got Brett Leach, who plays Mr. Sims, the guy who gives Billy a job at a at a children's store, who is a terrible children's store owner. He was in Weird Science, The Great, Great outdoors, outdoors, Fire of the Fire of the Bride, Father of the Bride, Coach, Murder. She wrote. He was a pawnbroker in one episode of Tales from the Crypt. Going back to what we were talking about before we started recording, not to be confused with Creep Show. Yeah, okay. Guy makes an innocent mistake. <laughs> Lene Quigley. She plays Denise, who we will see have a very fun ending to her life later. And she was but in The Amazing, The Return of the Living Dead. She is a horror queen. One of my all-time favorite movies. One of, Return of the Living Dead? Return of the Living Dead, yeah. I just love that movie. I try to watch it every 4th of July because it's a 4th of July movie. It is a 4th of July movie. Yep. Holidays are super fun in your house, Ron. As long as I can associate a horror movie with a holiday, I'm going to do it. It's pretty much the only thing I've got going on in my life. (laughs) She is in an upcoming movie called Dead by Midnight. She's in Appetite for Sin, New York Ninja, Death Breed, Buzz Cut, Biastic oh. Hunt, z- Zombie Games, Death Care, The Last Thanksgiving, The Good Things Devils Do. Uh, let's not forget, she was also in the Nightmare on Elm Street for The Dream Master. And Hooker with a Hacksaw. And Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. Man, you're, you're, you're leaving out Night of the Demons, which is one of her best movies. Night of Demons. And Graduation Day is pretty good. Postmortem. Yeah. Sorority Babes in the Slime Ball Bolorama is a, a top-notch slice of 80s cheese. She has a lot of movies in here that look like things Anthony would like. A lot of movies of hers I do like. Fun fact, she was one of the souls that came out of Freddy's chest in Nightmare on Elm Street 4. She got engaged right after she did that. On set. That's... Nice. So I guess her fiancé just, just couldn't resist her coming out of Robert England's prosthetic chest. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> had to drop to one knee afterward. Oh man, what a story. <laughs> All right, so let's jump into this movie. Movie opens up. Guys working in a convenience store. Looks very reminiscent of convenience stores in our childhood. We didn't have all these fancy convenience stores like you see everywhere now where you go to get gaps. And uh, Santa comes in. Worker's real friendly with them. Welcomes him in. Rings him up. And Santa pulls a gun and tells him to put all his money in there, shoots him. And in classic TV, in the classic TV trope, the guy's trying to pull his gun up to shoot Santa back. 
and he's taking a really long time and then ends up with two extra bullets, one, one in the chest, uh-huh. one in the head. And Santa leaves and complains that he only got 31 bucks out of the deal. <laughs> now, that Santa is actually a pretty well-known actor because he... Oh, yes, we did forget this. Uh, Charles Deercup is the guy who plays Santa, and he, he was in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and The Sting. So, like, he's been in legitimate movies, not just, you know, fun Linnea Quigley movies. We pan away, and we are with a family that is driving on Christmas Eve. We don't know where they're headed, but there's a young boy in the back who's eight years old and a baby, mom and dad driving. And we find out they're going to an insane asylum, a mental health hospital at the time. And they go to see grandpa, who is catatonic. Like you do in a mental health institution with catatonic grandpa and whoever, who knows what else lying around. Mom and dad go to talk to the doctor in the office and just leave kid in the lobby with, with grandpa. And grandpa suddenly comes out as we're wanting to catatonic state and warns him to beware Santa Claus because he basically Santa's going to come. Santa's going to come punish you, kid. You're in for it. Driving home, Billy tells his parents this, and they're like, "Eh, you know, whatever. We're going to ignore this. Should we call the doctor and tell him? Nah." And what do we see on the side of the road? A broken down car, the same car that Santa had in the last scene. And Santa's there waving them down. Billy's scared and does not want to stop to help Santa, but dad decides to do it. And things go horribly wrong when Santa pulls a gun. Dad tries to back up. Santa wildly shoots his gun in a very erratic way and somehow hits and kills dad. Walks to the car, opens the door. Dad falls out with a gunshot right to the middle of his head. Uh, the grandpa, played by, this, by character actor Will Hare, who you've definitely seen in other stuff, uh, was on an episode of Beretta with um, the murderous little rascal, Robert Blake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Ooh. And he was also in Enter the Ninja as uh, the character Dollars, who's one of the funnier characters in that movie. And that, that is also a movie I really like because if you've never seen Franco Nero, uh, Italian character actor Franco Nero, try to speak English uh, while being a ninja, you're missing. You're missing out. <laughs> now, what Santa does to Mom here? Well, well, we got to. I, I skipped one important part. Billy, after his dad gets shot, just opens the door and takes off running, leaving his little brother Ricky behind, crying. Eh, yeah, baby screaming, baby screaming. Mom gets pulled out of the car and thrown on the ground. First thing killer does is rip open her shirt. She slaps him. He slaps her back. And then Billy watches Santa slit his mom's throat with an extremely scary weapon from the 80s. Right, Ron Hogan? Yes. One of the top four most dangerous weapons of the 80s after the ninja star and the butterfly knife and the Uzi is the switchblade. Santa's a blade, man. Santa will cut you. (laughs) Does a real poor job of looking for the child who is laying right by the road in wintertime, not covered at all, just holding a blade. And then the scene fades and we see Billy 10 years later. Living at an orphanage. Yeah, he is. No, he's not 10 years later yet. Is it's he? three years later. Three years later. Okay, with his little brother at the orphanage. Where Mother Superior 
catches him watching a nun having sex and then spanks him for some weird reason because he saw something he shouldn't. That wasn't a nun. That was that was another uh, orphan, right? That was another orphan. Okay. Oh, okay. She spanks Billy. She spanks Billy because two people had sex. Well, she spanks Billy for being a uh, being an Anthony and peeping through the keyhole. Uh, I, well, I may be a lot of things. I am not a peeping Tom. Peeping Tony, more like it. <laughs> yeah, I still don't get it. Like Billy's not a bad. Billy doesn't seem like a bad kid, but they keep torn. Like the, this mother superior has it out to uh, torture. Billy was it's because she's a stereotypical nun. She's supposed to have the strict disciplinary back in the day, where you hear people say they beat them all the time. Billy wasn't supposed to be out of his room, peeping or not. Peeping is not an excuse to be out of your room, Billy. You were told to stay in your room. And to be fair, she goes after Billy after she wails on the two people she catches yeah, having sex with the dude's belt. Like so, she, she does the use guy the guy's his own belt, belt to beat him. Oh, <laughs> but she consider, she considers punishment a good thing. She does consider a good thing, and for all we know, so did the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bill, Billy now has a new thing that that he did not have before. I believe uh, the internet uses the expression "core memory unlocked." <laughs> uh, the other nun here does not like the way Mother Superior is treating him. Uh, she has a name. Her name is Sister Margaret. Margaret. Sister Margaret. But Mother Superior knows best and uh, decides, for whatever reason, after a kid watched Santa kill his parents, that she should force him to sit in Santa's lap because what else would you do? Right, I I think everybody who has a traumatic experience should be forced back into that beyond their you know without their control. That's obviously the only way we deal with with traumatic memories, right? In fairness, back then you didn't know better. I think we still knew better. I think you still knew if Santa slit your mom's <laughs> topless throat, you don't go put Billy on Santa's lap. But Billy's got one heck of a right hook and takes Santa oh, out. I laughed and I laughed and I laughed. Which is one hundred percent one of my like my second favorite gif to use online is Billy punching out Santa Claus. What's your first one? Garbage day. Garbage, Garbage day. <laughs> so two of my favorite gifts come from the first two Silent Night Deadly Night movies, and that's only because there's not a gif from Silent Night Deadly Night Five of the robot boy getting gropy, or of Mickey Rooney beating up a beating a delinquent with a glass bottle. I have so many questions right now. Oh, don't worry. We have for this answers. podcast will be going on for a while, so we'll do one a year. Tom, your questions are all answered in the film strip podcast episode on Silent Night, Deadly Night Five, The Toy Maker. <laughs> um, Anthony, I do have good news though. I was looking through Tubi and I just typed in Christmas, and there are so many movies that I've never heard of that Tubi. all look terrible. Tubi has a lot of content, honestly. I, people are sleeping on Tubi. It's great, though. Tubi is by the, the way, world's greatest garbage dump. It is wonderful. <laughs> by the way, if you have not seen Silent Night, Deadly Night yet, it is free. It is available for free on Tubi. And the unrated, and it's the unrated version, which is the one I watched. Which is the one Anthony likes. It is the one I like. I always prefer the unrated versions. Yeah, but the okay. unrated version of this doesn't add the stuff Anthony likes. That's the stuff I like. It adds I, 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 I like gore. gore. Yeah, but that's not why you watched the unrated version of this, Anthony. Where did I get this reputation from? 
Instagram. Instagram. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> oh. oh, thanks, y'all. Good night. It's all that good. It's a Christmas movie at the end. Ten out, ten out, ten. Next, we fast forward ten years, and Billy needs a job, and we find Mr. Sims in his toy shop. Sister Margaret's talking to him about hiring. He doesn't want a kid. He needs a big, strong, manly man. She calls Billy over, and Billy is this muscular, tall, giant dude. And he's like, okay, you can start here. The common theme throughout this, this was back before, um, you know, employment laws and non-discrimination policies, because everything they talk about is him needing to hire a man to work there. But they hire Billy. Billy's getting along great. We have this wonderful montage of him becoming friends with everybody, you know, having a great time. The store's doing well. He's working out. And he starts developing a crush on Pamela. And all I can think to myself is, man, this is a Jim and Pam romance waiting to happen. Except (sighs) no. When he sexually fantasizes about her, it's interspersed with images of mom and dad's murder. When he fantasizes about Pamela... It's very odd how much he fantasizes about his own hairy butt. What? They zoom in on a very hairy man butt way too many times. It's <laughs> odd how he's fantasizing in like the third, you know. He's fantasizing about his own butt and he the still has a extra hairy. Billy knows what he's into. <laughs> uh, as we get going, we find that, out. That, that hairy butt was for the ladies, Tom. It was the 80s. That's when in body 80s, hair was in. In the 80s, Christine did not appreciate. Christine did not appreciate the, the hairy butt. Julia, yay or nay? I'm sorry, my audio just cut out. <laughs> yeah, that's convenient. <laughs> hey, Julia, let me let me pull up a clip of this guy's naked hairy butt, and you can tell us what you think. <laughs> All I'll say, though, in fairness, in fairness to this whole scene where he's uh, sexualizing, you know, uh, fantasizing about Pamela, interspersed with his morbid past. Harry butt fantasy. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of like, you know, you, you figure out a lot of these famous serial killers back in the day do have some weird sexual fetishization. Like, sexual, they do get sexual gratification from like. The gore and the like murders an as well. Type of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, fix the mo because he's a serial killer. Well, he had a very traumatic uh, childhood experience, and you know, but Italian standards, he's not even that hairy. That's true. <laughs> oh, poor Sarah. <laughs> and this is coming from a guy whose beard line practically goes up to his eyebrows. So, <laughs> no room to talk. You have a little bit of room between the uh, beard line and the eyebrow. The room is my forehead, and it's just because I'm going bald. <laughs> <laughs> so you gotta start shaving your hair. You the Although badass with your shit head shaved and that beard. What I'd look like is I look like a guy who sells meth to racist bikers. <laughs> I thought <laughs> you said you look like somebody who stormed the like, capital. <laughs> I was gonna say don't go, don't don't dress like that and go to go on vacation to a tour of the capital. <laughs> <laughs> uh so billy is back at work and we've got the the mr sims talking to a really obnoxious lady that i can't stand who points out that they need another man because one of their employees she's being very elusive about who it is 
got injured and can't come to work. We find out it's Santa. Employee plays Santa. Yeah. Yeah. The employee plays Santa and they're going to force Billy to do it. And so they get Billy in Santa Claus gear. And I see him with a child on his lap. And if I'm in the, I'm in the crowd waiting, I'm taking Ellie and walking away. If I see somebody engaging with children, the way Santa was, he's like whispering angrily at her and threatening this child. And they're like, Oh, he has a way with kids. Oh, he's like, so good little, with children. Little girl leaves crying and everybody's okay with this. I imagine it. And, you know, I remember the 80s. As Just long as Santa it. didn't burn Just you with it. a lit cigarette, you're probably okay. Pretty much. Uh, Let's go back to the opening scene where we're in the car, when they're driving in the car. Did y'all, did y'all get a chuckle at the mom holding the baby in her lap with no seatbelt on? Yeah. And the kid, yeah. the kid in the back seat just, <laughs> just sliding around wherever the wind, wherever the... the Oh, good know. times. The only thing that was missing was dad cracking a beer on the drive. <laughs> Ron, has Maeve started watching Bluey? She's watched a, like one or two episodes. It's not her favorite, but she's watched a couple. Okay, you need to find the Bluey episode where they talk about the 80s. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> you will love it. They go, th- they go back through Bandit and his brother's uh, childhood in the 80s, and they edit it, and they're like, wait, when you were on your bike, you weren't wearing helmets, and you just they just bing, and there's helmets. Of course, we were wearing helmets. <laughs> yeah, helmets weren't a thing. You know, I, I laugh every time we take Ellie for a bike ride, and I'm putting her helmet and her elbow pads on, and I'm like, man, when I learned how to ride a bike, my family <laughs> let me go by myself. I hit the curb and went flying into a leg pole and broke my nose. Like, oh my God. we were we were wow. raised in a we were raised in a different world. Now, I ran into a bush and went head over head over uh, handlebars and landed in the bush, but I did not break my nose. No, I've had, a, I've had lifelong nasal sinus problems from it because it was also the 80s and it stopped bleeding and I don't, I freakishly don't bruise. So I never got a bruise or anything. I just had a little swelling and they assumed I was fine and I never went to the doctor. And also it was the 80s, so you just did a couple fat rails and you were fine. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I'm really bringing your podcast down. It's terrible. (laughs) I I don't know why you ever have me on here. (laughs) I show up on the podcast in this wholesome Christmas experience. I start talking about a child snorting cocaine and and (laughs) dad drink casually drinking and driving. Yeah, Yeah, back when DUIs were cool, not like illegal. Um, then we see our casual sexual assault where employee is trying to convince Pamela to go to the back with him. She's got a present. He's like, why don't you just give it to me in front of everybody? The present I have for you isn't for everybody. It's just for you. It's my penis. And she, yeah, she's really, I mean, he's, he's telling her he's taking her back there to rape her. Yeah. He's not very subtle. They're willingly kissing before they go back there. I think she just, Saw that the president had some warts on it and was like skeeved out. No, don't you. So he rips her sh- shirt open, just like in the first, in the second scene of the movie. And Billy sees this and he's not cool with it. Something mm-hmm. triggers in him and he decides he's going to kill his co worker, who's kind of a jerk, anyways, to him the whole time. He's a total jerk. He absolutely deserves to die. Yeah. Andy deserves. Wow, Julia, you the set the low bar Andy. for murder. Yeah. <laughs> 
man, do not put do not put Julia on my jury if something if I commit a crime. Oh no, she's going on the jury. Uh, he deserves to die. We don't even know what he's accused of. It's fine. Oh, I know the guy. He did something. Let's hang him. That's not. That's actually not Julia, but that is generally the state of Oklahoma's view of. Yes, accurate. Judicial proceedings. Uh, how did he kill him again? Oh, right. Christmas he took a hammer to his neck. head. Oh, no, this was the, yeah, he wrapped Christmas lights around his neck and lifted him up with one arm. He lifted the entire guy up with one arm after wrapping the Christmas lights that were plugged in until the guy dies, which in this, it takes about 12 seconds for him to suffocate. And then he drops him and Pamela's screaming, you're crazy. You're crazy. Not trying to get away from him at all. And let's talk about how, well, well, Pamela is just like lounging there watching this murder happen. I mean, yeah, no uh, screaming, no crying for help, nothing. Yeah, Andy's not I think, great, but I also feel like maybe that we're supposed to believe that Billy, with his his freakish um, you know, traumatic uh, strength, was just mm-hmm. able to basically smash um, Andy's larynx in with like his thumbs, so yes. that that twelve second death was not him like being slowly strangled; it was him just being having his windpipe crushed yes. in true eighties okay. fashion. Okay. And Pamela takes the Julia approach here. While it's happening, which if Julia was Pamela in this movie, Julia would have been like, Thank you, appreciate it, or or seize the opportunity while Andy's being dying to run away or at least button your shirt. No, but it's never a priority in an 80s horror flick to button the shirt, like, never, (laughs) it should never be a priority in real life. If there's a murderous person standing there with an axe and a box cutter and a knife or whatever the heck he has, and your choice is run away or button your shirt first, you always run away. Anthony, modesty but, matters. Okay, come on. Not in New York, you, you don't. So you you don't take you don't take the let's sit here and see what's going to happen approach. <laughs> we, no. We're going to casually watch. We're going to casually watch a gruesome murder and then just start insulting the guy who did the murdering. For the record, probably, if, you can probably button and run. It's it's you know I think you can do two things at once. For the record, it is legal to walk around topless for a woman in New York. Didn't know that. Just, just go to two things. One, I don't know why that's knowledge. applicable for us to mention now. And two, you're around with that. If you're, <laughs> I, I think even if it is illegal, if you're running away from a murderer, they're not going to press charges, Anthony. No, it's <laughs> it's legal. No, but even. If, if you're in a city where it's not legal, I don't think if you're running away from a murderer, they're gonna they're gonna charge you. It's I not like you know, it, if it's a male murderer, if it were a, a man. female victim in Texas, yeah, they would. Now let's defend Pamela here. She probably doesn't have any buttons left on her shirt because Andy ripped her shirt open. Oh, that's true. That's, that's valid. True. That's valid. But so Pamela doesn't run. Turn it around backwards. So Bill, but she keeps her shirt open, which gives Billy the great opportunity to. Um, to stab her in the stomach and try and gut her with a box cutter, which is basically how I cut any cardboard box that I have access to. The very yes. same way. Me too. I, I take my box cutter, which is covered in blood, and I say, "Punish!" And then I stab it, and I <laughs> I drag the razor in the wrong direction so it won't cut at all. Yeah. Right. And you only put the, you put it out, you know, like how they have the little clicky breakaway things on a box cutter. You yeah. only have it like one and a half out. So really that would have been a superficial cut based on the box cutter he had. 
it was not deep enough to eviscerate her the way that she was eviscerated. I mean, it still would have hurt. It wouldn't have been a pleasant experience. Don't get me wrong. I've cut myself with box cutter more than once. <laughs> so he goes out of here. So he kills her Pamela and our weird lady who works here. And Mr. Sims hears something. Mr. Sim goes, check it out. He walks back. He sees Pamela dead and bam, we get a hammer to the head mm-hmm. and the hammer cleaves his skull and stays there. Well, it's a claw hammer. <laughs> so the claw is stuck in his brain. It is. It is. But it went deep into his skull. That was a hard hit. Can we talk about how I kind of feel bad for uh, Mr. Sims for getting killed? Because all he did was give Billy a job. He did just give Billy a job. <laughs> but he did. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to side with Julie here and say he deserved it. He did not have the Christmas spirit. I feel less bad for Mr. Sims than I do the nice couple he's going to murder brutally the most random couple he's gonna brutally murder in a few minutes well oh, no, but then there's... because the only thing mr sims did wrong was to buy j and b for the party the only thing denise and tommy did wrong was being home in the privacy of their home they no, weren't at home she was babysitting in someone else's home neglecting a and child she, and she she neglected a child to bring a boy in the home who should uh, not have been there so they deserve the, to be punished the stupid mrs Voorhees defense you guys oh, no. neglected Jason. You deserve to be punished. But then this. But then there's this also, other lady he's got to deal with. Also, they're oh. on top of a pool table. That's not. You that's not how, respecting the pool table. Felt. You know how easy it is to mess up the felt on a pool table. <laughs> yeah. God forbid yeah. that thing is slate. If that's slate, his jeans are gonna chew it to pieces. <laughs> In all fairness, I don't think he's planning on keeping his jeans on very long. But in all fairness, he's grinding around there on his knees with Lene Quigley. <laughs> also, that's not really respectful of your, your partner because she's going to get jeans rash all over her thighs. <laughs> Imagine how yes, many this- times they had to shoot that scene and how many times poor Lene Quigley had to go like hose down with some calamine lotion because it's just like <laughs> knees to belly jeans rash. Judging by the quality of the scene, I'm assuming they didn't do any retakes. It's perfectly B-movie quality, Tom. Well, before we get to that, we do have the other lady working at the store. Billy comes after with the fire axe. They play a little hide-and-seek. She tries to get out through the locked door. It doesn't work. She ends up getting Billy's axe after she pushes a set of boxes over him. and try- She's going to bust through the glass, but in this toy store, there's a very real bow and arrow set that completely impales her straight through and when she gets hit from the back it's in her lower back but when we see her in the front it apparently went through her heart it's an angled up it could be angled up right it's not as tall as billy is that's just physics physics doesn't matter as far as the real bow and arrow that's also an 80s thing because like yeah I had, yeah, I had a real 80s. bow and arrow. I had yeah. a real bow and arrow, but my arrow would not have gone through a human. And also, there wasn't enough tension on that bow. So but, Billy but, runs out. Billy runs out leaving, and Sister Margaret gets here, and she freaks out. Decides to go to the orphanage for help instead of calling the cops. Well, but yeah, she sees Mister Sims and decides to go to the orphanage. Back to the orphanage for help because Mother Superior is obviously who I would go to for. So this is where we get the most famous scene in the movie, right? This, this is where Billy breaks into the house of Denise and Tommy, who are going at it at the pool table while Cindy is upstairs sleeping. So not neglecting the child. They already put her to bed. 
just in defense of Denise and Tommy. But she is not in bed. She comes down and they scare her away. Anyway. Question. Quick yes. question. How does he end up at this house? Like he just breaks just... into a near nearby house or a random. Okay. It's just different. by chance he selects the house. It's not correct. Okay. Yep. Alrighty. That, yeah, these people did nothing to deserve what they got except they were home. So he comes in, he picks up Denise, and this is the most famous scene of the whole franchise, right, Ron? He impales her on the deer antlers on the wall. And it's a fantastic kill. It is one of the most impressive kills in a movie. Um, just because they they make it so they spend all their special effects budget basically on this kill and it's shot that Lene Quigley's topless. So you can't really hide a lot of the gimmicks where they, you know, the, the antlers come rupturing out of her skin. And it's really, when you think of silent night, deadly night, you think of Billy holding the ax and you think of Linnea Quigley impaled on deer antlers. Yeah. And this was a familiar scene, even to me. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and they recreated it on uh, the last drive-in when they showed something like Deadly Night on the last drive-in. That's how iconic show. this is. I love that show. He picks up Tommy and throws him through the window, <laughs> and Cindy comes downstairs and sees Santa. I wonder, by the way, if they named her Cindy, Cindy Lou Who. How? Probably. I one hundred percent think that that's why they did that. Because yeah. th- it feels like the kind of reference that these guys were going to make. Now, mm-hmm. I love the way this entire scene with Cindy is constructed because at, <laughs> you feel like the whole time he's got those box cutters. He's just going to go to town and he's just going to slaughter this child. And he doesn't. They play with your expectations. And they even exactly. film it in such a way that you feel like, all right, here it comes. He's got the box cutter. It's creeping slowly towards her. And that's her gift. That's her gift. Child. He asks if she's been naughty or nice, and she says nice. She says nice several times, and we yep. have no evidence that she has not been nice, unlike the kids we see later in the movie. Mm. I thought he was going to, like, put the knife back in his pocket and switch it for, like, a candy cane or something. Yeah, I had expected the candy cane the first time, too, because you see earlier in the film, he reaches into the pocket and pulls out the candy cane when he's, like, right. being Santa, but... I assume all the candy canes were broken in his murder spree. Yes, this, this makes so, sense. I'm thinking about this like I think of multi-level marketing, right? One murder Santa, watch a B-level horror movie. One serial <laughs> kill, one, one homicidal Santa kills a woman in front of a kid. He then becomes a murdering Santa. So now we've, we're up to, now he's sending the, sharing the love with Cindy and all the other kids in the future, think about how many murderous Santas he's creating in this one movie. That's what they should have done was a whole slew of these following all these kids who grew up and decided to do the same. Well, yeah, he gets a cut off of each one. You're kind of jumping ahead to the end of the movie, Tom, when we really see his we did. Uh, network. You're of, right. When we see his network of murder Sanders grow like to the point where he gets the pink Cadillac. <laughs> <laughs> So, Ron, to your point, he may have spared Cindy, but he does not spare the next two kids. Because he witnesses a few bullies outside picking on a kid and stealing their sleds, and he decapitates the guy. Just to quote Julia, they deserved it. 
they did deserve that. Believe they did. They were total jerks. They totally deserved it. Yeah, two thirty-five-year-olds should not pick on a pair of twenty-three-year-olds. That was terrible of them. (laughs) (laughs) So the next morning, the orphanage is secured, right, by Officer Barnes and Captain Richards, and Sister Margaret knows that it's Billy who committed all the murders. Mm -hmm. And then. <laughs> poor, poor father, what's his name? Poor deaf father O'Brien, who is dressed as Santa. <laughs> is mistaken for Billy and shot by the cops. It's <laughs> funny because that was all right. So uh this officer Barnes actor, Max Robinson, he was in Halloween five. And I want to say it's Halloween 4 or Halloween 5 where they have the mistaken identity where the townspeople it is! feel a dude dressed like Michael Byers. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yes. Poor guy's type. <laughs> so after he's killed, the cops are still patrolling the area and Barnes gets an axe to the chest by Billy before Billy confronts his chief tormentor, Mother Superior, now, now in a wheelchair. F- now, I think now in a wheelchair. I think they really missed an opportunity here by not having Billy say, let me ask you a question. Have you been naughty or nice? And just so we know, etymologically speaking, going on a little educational lesson here, ask predates ask as the verb to ask a question. Now, Mother Superior here has not lost her her uh, spine in her old age despite being in a wheelchair because she is not scared of this dude she taunts him about his belief in santa claus as he's about to kill her yeah that's when officer richards comes up and shoots him in the back and as billy drops in front of all his kids yeah as he drops to the floor his final words are you're safe now santa's gone or is he or is he? Because a 14-year-old Ricky, his little brother, stares at Mother Superior and utters, naughty. Yay, naughty. And that sets up Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 and Silent Night, Deadly Night 3. Oh, he persists through two. Well done. I love it when they live long enough to get two movies. Well, somebody does anyway. I don't know if it's uh, it's clearly not this actor, but you know, someone plays that role. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know Malcolm McDowell starred in the remake. Man, he just loves his horror remakes, huh? Malcolm McDowell loves anything that gets him a paycheck. <laughs> uh, I think he had the same uh, uh, accountant as Nicolas Cage and thus money. <laughs> Yeah. Wait, so I, I have to ask, as a horror expert here, Ron, the Silent Night, Deadly Night remake that's already been released, I know you said another one, it's in pre-production or whatever, where does it fall among all the slasher remakes of recent years? I've actually not seen it. Oh, I, okay. I don't remember, I don't really, or if I've seen it, I don't really remember it, which probably says something about the quality. I don't, I don't believe it's very highly regarded, but... Uh, I can't say for sure because I don't remember it. Did you like the Black Christmas remakes? I liked one of them. I liked. Please the, tell me not the recent one. I have not seen the recent one either. 
it was the subject you're not missing some, anything it was the subject <laughs> of some controversy online and i just never watched it um i because i really like the 2006 remake quite a bit i saw that one well we're covering that in a few weeks i'll just my history but i saw that one when it first came out in there but in Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, Ricky is played by Bill Mosley, so it's 100% worth seeing. <laughs> now we must ask, is this a Christmas movie or a movie set at Christmas? I don't know how this could be any more of a Christmas movie. Uh, there's Christmas music playing all through. Every place they go is decorated. Uh, Billy is constantly in a Santa suit for most of the movie. When he's not in a Santa suit, someone else is in a Santa suit doing crimes or being a deaf priest getting murdered. The movie literally is about trying to force this kid to love Santa Claus. So, could this not have taken place at Easter? No, because they where you substitute Santa for nonsense. nonsense. That is just nonsense, Anthony. You know it, and we know it. You're just speaking nonsense. This is definitely one of those situations where there is not a shred of a Linus moment, but it's still a Christmas movie. Well, there's a Linus moment. What's the Linus moment? The Linus moment is when, as he's dying, he doesn't terrorize the children. Instead, he's like, you're safe now. So it's gone. The attempted Linus moment. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of altruism the whole time. Well, I'm, I'm curious, because you did not hate this movie, right, Julia? I did not hate this movie. But you hated Black Christmas. Yeah, I didn't like Black Christmas. So what did this movie do better for you than Black Christmas? Um, I don't know. I don't know if I liked the fact that it's this traumatized kid, and we get to see where the trauma started from, and, like, it's an interesting concept, honestly, though, right? Because he thinks he's in the right doing this thing that's right while he's doing this thing that's definitely not right. Um, he's not just willy-nilly killing people because he wants to kill people. He's doing it because they've done something bad, right? Um, I appreciated that more than Black Christmas. I liked not an all-female cast, honestly. Um, I I think it was the sorority house thing that I didn't love about Black Christmas. And this had funny moments like the priest getting killed. That part made me laugh really hard (laughs) because her (laughs) talking on the phone, like he couldn't hear that was the priest. He's deaf. (laughs) Like, could it be any more perfect? I don't know. I just liked it more than Black Christmas. Maybe it was a mood too. Kind of like Ron said, this is the perfect Christmas in July movie. I can absolutely see that. Um, I got more Christmassy feels off of this one than I did off of Black Christmas. I mean, there's definitely Christmassy stuff in Black Christmas, but I liked the colors of this Christmas much better than the orange dark of Black Christmas. But in terms of your Christmas horror pantheon, Krampus is still your top horror. Krampus is still my top because it's just drenched in Christmas and it has family and elements that i like so much and heart correct tom do you like this movie i'm still not sure where you stand no may meh meh i don't love it it's not it's it doesn't rise to the level of krampus as far as a good film and i still prefer santa slay as a b-rate horror compared to this now rob is this your favorite christmas horror movie i think i still prefer krampus to this i prefer 
I prefer uh, I prefer Krampus. I really like um, the Black Christmas remake, the middle one. I really like. Well, I like a lot of Christmas horror movies. This is probably in my top five, just okay. for pure. Because sometimes you want to watch a good horror movie, and sometimes you want to watch some eighties crap. And this is mm-hmm. like really good eighties crap because it is ridiculous, and there's just crazy stuff <laughs> happening all the time. There's all these reprehensible people. You don't really care that anybody dies because they, as Julie would say, they all deserve it. Mm-hmm. I'll say this: you call this a this is really good eighties crap. I'll say this to anyone out there who hasn't seen it: it's better than the majority of Nightmare on Elm Street sequels and Friday the Thirteenth sequels and Halloween That's sequels. Fair. I don't That's think fair. this is better than Halloween Four, but I love Halloween Four. I love Halloween Four too. That movie's drenched in Halloween. But this is better than like half of the Friday the Thirteenth movies for sure, and it is better than the back half well, of the Elm Street flicks. Well, I don't know. They never sent they never sent Billy into space like they did with Jason. And I love Jason X. I love that movie. That movie's great. Do you really? Yes. Go back to listen to the film strip where we did all the Friday the Thirteenth retrospective and listen to me gush happily about how much I love Jason X. It's in space. It's shoot him off into space. space. And he kills um oh what's his name? David Cronenberg. Hey, at least they made better on the promise of him in space than they did of the promise of him in Manhattan. What a wasted concept that was. But I don't they couldn't afford to shoot Jason in Manhattan, so it was Jason mostly in Toronto. so we agree there's no linus moment here so then what would we rank this thing i'll come in at a 5.2 now am i ranking this as a christmas movie or just a horror movie or a christmas horror movie christmas horror movie i guess christmas movie then i would probably give this an eight i really enjoy this movie i'm gonna give it a 5.8 I'm going to go with a 5.4. Ooh. I give this a 5.467. Not bad. Not bad. But that's higher than I thought we'd rank it. Yeah, I was expecting that there to be like three zeros and <laughs> me, me trying <laughs> desperately to get anyone on my side. <laughs> it's just under Daddy's Home and just above a tie. Disney's A Christmas Carol on the Polar Express. <laughs> Those are odd bedfellows. I want to know what you think of about this and what you think of Christmas horror films in general as we are quickly approaching fall and all things spooky. This is a good foretaste for us. Let us know what you think. Hit us up at linktree.com forward slash tis the podcast where you can find a link to our Facebook group, which is by far our most active and fun place that we have. Our Facebook page. Our Facebook Twitter, group also Instagram. doesn't have any um, awful hate, hate mongers. Yep. No so, hate. No hate mongering. We don't. So that's the. Us. That's the only rule we have. You can't hate on and and be terrible to other people or groups of people. Come no. for the Christmas. Come for the Christmas feels. And you can find us on Reddit. And if you're really feeling like you want to be involved, join us on Patreon where you can pick an episode and join us to co-host it. 
now that Halloween is coming up as well, I want to hear people's opinions on what's part of your Halloween canon and what songs are on your Halloween playlists. So let us know on Facebook group. In the Facebook group. Or on social media in general. So good question. I wonder how many people are gonna say one of their Halloween songs is uh Somebody watching me by Rockwell because that's a, uh, that's like a very Halloweeny song to me. That's one hundred percent on my Halloween playlist. Y'all, I uh, cannot tell you how excited I am about next week. What are we doing next week? The Chronicles of what? Chronicles of Narnia: The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with Natalie Bickle. Uh, I'm excited to have Natalie on. Hi, Natalie. She did something for Christmas in July. Yes, sure, now we know what she your, sounds uh, like. Mr. Pibb and your red vines. <laughs> the week after, I'm pretty excited for two, Tom. And this was a suggestion that you added to the list. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think we should do this on the this the day of my daughter's half birthday. We're going to record The Godfather. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Ron, why don't you tell people where they can find you? Well, thank you. You can find me at filmstrippodcast.com or on uh, Twitter and Facebook at uh, filmstrippod. Also Instagram, but I don't really check that. But it's also filmstrippod. It's all filmstrippod. It's filmstrippod all the way down. <laughs> you can also catch my writing over at Den of Geek, where I'm currently covering Westworld. And I write a lot about The Walking Dead. I write a lot about all kinds of good stuff. I was about to ask, will you be covering the Rick and Michonne miniseries for Den of Geek? I 100% am pretty sure I am because I don't know who else would want to except for me. 100% am pretty sure I am. I like it. I, I haven't, they haven't told me I'm going to yet because they haven't even started filming the, that spinoff yet. But uh, based on past history, I... I will get first crack at that and I will 100% jump on it because the only thing I'm more excited about is the Negan Maggie spinoff where they go to Manhattan. Maggie take Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> By Manhattan, I mean probably um, downtown Atlanta. But <laughs> man, everyone's taking Manhattan now. Ghostface is taking Manhattan too. Ghostface, Jason, the Muppets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Woody Allen, everybody's just taking Manhattan. Well, Ron, it was great having you on. It always is. Always. I feel like uh, you may need to come on and join us sometime in October for one of our Halloween month specials. I'm always down for some sort of Halloween special. Um, we Jay is coming on to cover Halloween 2018 with us, if you want to come on for that one, too. Hey, and I... Uh, disagree about halloween 2018 so that's fun i want you there then (laughs) you just bought yourself a one-way ticket to the episode (laughs) i'm excited we have lots of great content like the rest of the year is stacked with great content for the most part minus black christmas at least in juliet tom's mind we do have great content stacked for the next 3672 hours until christmas you mean for the next 153 days? I mean for the next 21 weeks. Four and a half months. That's so that's crazy. I do have Tom and Julia's gifts boxed up in the closet that we're just in that. Well, I hate to rub it in that you're 
which are done earlier than all the rest of us. And thank you. Well, when you when when your life revolves around peeping on your neighbors, you have a lot of free time. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs>